0: Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. Dr. Josh Sullivan is Senior Vice President of Booz Allen Hamilton and one of the world's leading experts in data science. And machine intelligence. Angela Zutaburn is vice president of Booz Allen Hamilton and pioneered the application of machine intelligence to leadership strategy. And together, they're radically transforming how Fortune 500 companies, nonprofits, and major government agencies perform by helping leaders shatter long held constraints and reveal hidden truths about their organizations, I read that bio s- straight from the jacket of their great new book entitled The Mathematical Corporation, Where Machine Intelligence Plus Human Ingenuity Achieve the Impossible. Angela, Josh, welcome to AMA Edgewise.
1: Thanks, Dave. Great to be here.
0: Thanks, Dave. This is a compelling topic. I'm very interested in, I want to say, all things sort of related to artificial intelligence and stuff like that. We, I think it was six or seven months ago. When Kevin Kelly's new book came out, he spends a chapter or two on – I'm a ridiculous Kevin Kelly fan. I don't go into that. <laughs> uh, but he spent a chapter or two on, on artificial intelligence, and we got into this whole discussion about, okay you, – you know, and I'm like, you mean to tell me that my company or my organization is going to have to affiliate, you know what I mean, at least for the interim stretch, with one of a, a set – of artificial intelligence, some big name artificial intelligence or something like that. So will the AMA affiliate with Watson? Will the AMA affiliate with Alexa? Will the AMA affiliate with Lisa? You know, who who will we, with Salesforce, whatever that AI is called or something like that, so that our, our knowledge, our best practices, our, you know, what, our secret sauce of what makes the AMA so good and whatever is sort of baked into this artificial intelligence engine, and it can help people become better managers by asking the right questions or figuring out where they are in the process. His answer was something to the effect of, well, that's that's correct. I mean, that'll be for like a short period of time, and then it'll become something totally different. So if you don't mind, when you do a book like this, and it, so much of it kind of brushes up against a, a subject that to some people might seem like science fiction-ish, and the cinema in particular, also with, with some fiction and novels. When we brush up against things like artificial intelligence, most of that stuff, that's that's sold. The best-selling stuff that we brush into are the big sellers, you know, Hollywood or whatnot. The end result, working with the AI is, is most of the time not that good. You know, I mean, the AI is, like, bad, okay? When you write a book like this, and you do all the case studies, and you do all the research, and you ask all the questions and, and whatnot, and, and you help these companies and they give you all this information. What what were some of the the good surprises? What were the the unexpected cool things you came across or positive stories when you were doing the research? Because I think so much of this is getting people more comfortable with the idea that, like it or not, we're all going to be working with this type of stuff.
2: Dave, there's so much hype out there around this space right now and hyperbole, frankly, from every company and media outlet. One of the things we had to do is really try to sort through the hype and the hyperbole and understand what's really going on, what does it mean to leaders. There's a fundamental truth I think we came across that so far we haven't seen any indication of a lot of new technology. It really is not new. All of these things you're seeing they are not new breakthroughs. AI, of course, been around more than 50 years. A lot of the breakthroughs are happening as in machine learning, a branch of AI. Those advances are happening because we have so much more data. And we are having a little b- more improvements in things like convolutional neural nets and, you know, some of the reinforcement learning, some of the, the breaking parts of machine learning. But a lot of that is not new. Most of that's been around for so long. The real truth was people are getting excited for the first time about how they apply that technology to their operations, to their business. So it's the application of something that has been long held kind of only in academia that's now starting to really – potentially have uses for leaders across an organization. And so there's a lot of excitement about the application of it. Mm -hmm. That's one of the interesting things we found is this is not a topic you should be afraid of Mm -hmm. or you should overly complicate because of the hype and the hyperbole. You really have to break through and think about what does it really mean to me. And a lot of this has been around for a long time. Sure. One of the
1: things that surprised Josh and me was, how many leaders were not only willing, but almost anxious to talk about this and to share their stories. And so we have 60 leaders in the book who are willing to share their stories publicly, many for the first time ever. And there was a real eagerness to share the journey that they had been on, learn from others, and really just kind of help. Others go through this complete transformation that some of them have gone through. And as Josh mentioned, many of these leaders didn't start off with a background in machine intelligence, and many of them didn't even have a technical background. And so they learned the possibilities, but then they were also able to set the vision and bring everyone else along to make the results happen.
0: Do you find that executives, leaders in this space are more willing to share are more willing to be sort of like share lessons learned and best practices when it comes to stuff like this. Again, back in the in the bad old days, or when you, if you talk to enough old schoolers, they'll tell you, "Well, that's a competitive advantage. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share. You don't have any leg up on on competitors, I'm gonna take advantage of." But the way you talked about it, it's people are sharing.
2: You know, we we see a lot of sharing. In fact, I think it's a function of the pace of the advancement of technology. Y- you can't build it into a competitive differentiator and hold on to it before it's already evolved. The pace of advancement is it's too fast. And so... Many of the leaders were anxious to talk about it. They were willing to share their detailed approaches. in fact, they're willing to share their their lessons learned and kind of their war stories around sure. what did you know what really went wrong and what was happening in the trenches and how do we make this real and Frankly, we're not seeing any company out there right now, any organization that is really a mathematical corporation yet, but there mm-hmm. are some that are really on that journey. they've started doing all the really important things they need to do around privacy and ethics and bias and and the complicated technology topics that they need to address. And they're very eager to share that story. A lot of the most senior executives, when they realize that what's happening is for the last 50 years, we've written software to tell computers exactly what to do for us. And in the last three years and moving forward, we are writing software that let machines learn. And when machines can learn, they can begin to perceive and understand the world around them. And when you can understand the world around them, you can start to make decisions, decisions Mm -hmm. autonomously without Mm -hmm. a human in the loop. When leaders really kind of understand that that's the landscape that we're moving into and that you may, in fact, have software workers or machine workers and human workers Mm -hmm. that have to interact together, Mm -hmm. I think the pressures of those considerations are, are so large that they're eager to talk about other companies' experiences and what have people really learned in the trenches and they're eager to talk about it because it's advancing so quickly and and it's a it's for the first time ever we're seeing machines start to move into a space where they're competing with humans on a cognitive level and that's never happened before Mm -hmm.
1: we had a huge aha moment when we realized the possibilities not just with companies and government agencies but in the nonprofit Mm -hmm. world and There's one NGO in there, Polaris. They do a lot of work preventing human trafficking, helping survivors. And at one point, they pieced together multiple data sets, publicly available data sets, Mm -hmm. tax information, business records, to really develop some new insights about where human trafficking is happening. And Josh and I were shocked and appalled that human trafficking is even going on in this day and age, you know, in our country, in our backyard, sure. in many cases, but unfortunately it is. Machine intelligence gives us such a powerful new weapon mm-hmm. to stopping human trafficking and other types of crimes, and also creating new capabilities and social good mm-hmm. solutions, cures to diseases through crowdsourcing. So many of the leaders we talked with are looking at not only what it does for their business or their agency, mm-hmm. but also what they can contribute to the
0: greater good. So you're both with Booz Allen? That's right. Yes. Why is Booz Allen, Hamilton interested in machine learning and artificial intelligence? What role does one of the big world class global consulting organizations what role do you play in this whole thing?
2: You know, Angela and I started our data science business a few years ago, trying to think about the human tradecraft of doing analytics better and doing it a little bit differently. And now we're looking at the machine tradecraft of how to think about machines doing some of this work. And, you know, I think Angela and I have realized over the years the collective ingenuity of people that are on our teams and the people we work really hard to hire and and retain. Putting that to use and being able to write a blueprint for leadership into the book, be able to write a construct on how you think about privacy and ethics and bias mm-hmm. and how we create these algorithms of the future that we had a role to say if we think we know what we're talking about and we have a strong point of view, then we should have the ingenuity to write it down and go talk about it and try to share that openly sure. with other leaders because, you know, we want well educated colleagues and, you know, we want to be able to spread a lot of this to leaders in any organization. That's
1: Our purpose at Booz Allen is to empower people to change the world. Mm -hmm. And so we're helping our clients change the world. We're helping our talent change the world. We feel a responsibility to invest and advance the state of the art in machine intelligence. And we also feel a responsibility to be a convener of the community, to bring multiple parties together, because no one can go it alone and be successful in this area, it really takes a community. And we want to be out front leading
2: that. I mean, Angela has a great point. If you think about the large-scale intractable problems in our society today, not one individual or one company is going to solve some of those problems. Sure. We just saw a tremendous competition uh, sponsored around the world that had 10,000 people contributing to machine learning algorithms that tried to better diagnose lung cancer mm. at an earlier stage than ever before. Ten thousand people who didn't know each other who are all good you know good intentions trying to figure out how they contribute to something bigger than themselves Mm -hmm. and i think that's some of the power of what we're facing in this you know machine age that's coming upon us it's it's truly going to drive an inflection point in how we live and how we work i think we're starting
0: to see some of the early signs of that now if you don't mind if you could just talk for a minute about the rather unique type of choreography that has to happen between human beings, the human side of this, whether the programmers, the developers, the the people who have an understanding of this thing, and and the the machines themselves, the artificial intelligence, let's say partners or intelligences or whatever. Talk to us about how that choreography works. Where does one end and where does the other one begin?
1: Josh and I don't see machine intelligence as a bolt-on or an add-on technology. We see it as an additional seat at the table in the boardroom. It's that important. And We talk about how there's no one perfect model. You named several different models earlier. There's no one perfect model or one perfect answer. It will evolve to a combination of models. And the leader's responsibility will then become to be an interpreter of those models.
2: I actually think, Angela, over time that our analytics that companies create and organizations create and the data that power those analytics will actually be as important as labor and capital. Oh, absolutely. In in business operations.
0: In the book, you make a, a point uh, of indicating that, that business leadership needs to look outside of their backyard. They, they they need to look outside of the traditional marketplace of ideas, products, and services that they've many of them have been doing for decades, uh, if not some of them for, for a century or so. Why does business leadership need to look outside of their sphere of, of knowledge?
1: There are opportunities to launch not only new products and services, but entirely new businesses and, in some cases, new industries. So companies and organizations that don't look outside of their traditional business are going to miss that altogether. There's an example I really enjoy about Epidemico, a healthcare startup company, and they saw a problem that needed to be solved. Mm -hmm. That problem was people who needed flu vaccines weren't getting them Mm -hmm. and they wanted to figure out how can we get more people vaccinated so they teamed up with uber and they delivered registered nurses to get the vaccines to the people who needed it most they used machine intelligence and predictive analytics to figure out where they could have the most impact but those type of non-traditional partnerships Mm -hmm. and kind of breakout business models will be the norm in the future and companies who don't embrace that will get left behind
2: you know we saw a large-scale pharmaceutical company that actually created value by giving away what they used to think of as really proprietary you know ip and in the book we talk about GlaxoSmithKline and how they took patient level data and in all the right ways, but you know, released that to global researchers and actually how much value they got back from crowdsourcing that mm-hmm. research to help validate some of the things they were working on and help inspire some of their research agenda.
0: It's kind of fuzzy in my memory here, but there's some type of apocryphal story, I think, from the last twelve to eighteen months about how some computer programmer or developer or something like that solve some kind of healthcare problem either with a device or with a process or with a molecular, you know, pharmaceutical setup or something like that. But it was just like the person who solved this problem was some, like Mm -hmm. some 20 year old computer programmer. And it was totally not, it was more, it had more to do with sort of like the the healthcare side of
2: things. Yeah. I think there are a lot of those stories from last year. There was a robot engineer working in a startup And she had, I think, a quant background, and she won the National Data Science Bowl last year with Kaggle. They have a a big competition. In that competition, she pioneered a new way of doing early diagnosis of heart disease, and she worked at, like, a robotic startup. And she teamed up with someone whom I don't think she'd ever met online before. Mm -hmm. They worked together, and she had no medical background. But from the tutorials Mm -hmm. and from all the content that was provided in the data, she was able to apply – a whole set of machine learning algorithms. Mm-hmm. And not only did she win, but she actually helped pioneer a new way to look at MRIs, heart MRIs, and be able to look at blood flow in certain places in the heart. And what usually would take a doctor, a trained cardiologist, over 20 minutes to figure out sure. can be automated. And it's pretty incredible, especially with no medical background.
1: We've seen it time and time again where the power of bringing together people from different backgrounds and even at Booz Allen, some of our top machine intelligence experts one started off in forestry another as a music major and even if maybe they started off in a technology field many of them have creative hobbies
0: yeah.
1: Shakespearean actor or play the guitar and so that combination that creativity brings so much into the mix mm-hmm. and having a really diverse team or we call it an asymmetrical team in the mathematical corporation can bring up those breakthrough ideas that sometimes don't happen when a set of industry experts has been working on it forever.
2: Sure. That's right. Well and never never underestimate the power of reasoning, right? Yeah. The one of the reasons we do that is the power of inductive reasoning and imagining pattern finding versus the deductive reasoning and the, you know automating the scientific method sure. and testing that and being able to move within a team, have them be able to move within the deductive and inductive reasoning space mm-hmm. all the time and creating that culture of experimentation and failure, frankly, and learning that iterative failure is the nature of discovery. It's evolution. And that is so powerful. And it's one of the things we talk about in the book is how important this kind of experimental culture can be too.
1: And Dave, you mentioned yeah. at the beginning there's kind of a fear out there about artificial intelligence
0: I'm an old guy I'm a grandfather (laughs) I'm not afraid of it but I know people who are
1: people are and Josh and I will say to anyone who will listen this is not about taking the person out of the equation it's giving the person a new collaborator and that's the the artificial intelligence and There's an example of how Google is approaching self-driving cars Mm -hmm. versus the way Tesla is approaching it. And so Google came up with all kinds of imaginable scenarios and then programmed responses to those scenarios. Then they put their employees in their cars to drive around and collect data. Tesla took a very different approach where they added self-driving tools to their vehicles 70,000 vehicles that they sold and they collect data from those drivers on an ongoing basis the difference is it took google six years to collect a million miles worth of driver data and tesla collects that every 10 hours so same exact technology same purpose in mind but two very different approaches strategically and that's where you'll never be able to remove people from the equation and that's where the leaders come in
0: You touched on this a little bit earlier, the idea of another seat at the table, at the boardroom table or something like that. I'm very interested in this. How do you think today's organizational structures and cultures are going to have to evolve to accommodate this type of thinking?
1: We think today's organizational structures limit the possibilities because they tend to place technical expertise in a niche department. So a specialty department, whether it's yeah. data science or yeah. the CEO shop. Yeah, I call or it the
0: witch doctor. You know, everybody needs a witch doctor. They don't know what he does, but they need him.
1: Exactly. And so to really make the breakthroughs that we envision as part of the mathematical corporation, this has to be spread across the entire fabric of the organization. It has to be part of the culture and there has to be an experimentation approach and a willingness to fail because you don't get these breakthroughs without those experimental iterations. So that, that was a big aha moment for us mm-hmm. in terms of the culture mm-hmm. and what it takes to, to really succeed.
2: Culturally, I think one of the things we found, and as Angela and I talked to so many different leaders, very few people are thinking about privacy and ethics and bias And I would argue privacy is probably first and foremost in terms of creating a culture where your customers and your clients opt in, that they know what's happening with your data. Is it okay to exploit that data in order to provide them a new service? Maybe, maybe not. And many leaders, I think culturally and even structurally, are not set up to... In the beginning, start thinking about before they do pilots, mm-hmm. you know, before they start their experiments and right. try this technology, they have not set up a framework to fully vet how they're looking at bias in their analytics, how they're being transparent with their client data, and so many leaders I think are missing the risk profile mm-hmm. of getting started with some of these technologies and not thinking about some of those
0: implications. Right. It's you know pretty significant. We here at the AMA pride ourselves on what I would call our noble cause, which is looking out for new managers, middle managers, aspiring leaders, people who have been just rock solid all-star individual contributors, but now they've been given a team, they've been given a project, there's a budget, there are people that they're responsible for. What's in this book for someone who might be a new manager or an aspiring leader?
1: A couple of things come to mind for me. One is it's really important to have the ability to shatter your own constraints. We all have constraints based on our experiences about how you do business or what's possible or what's not possible. And machine intelligence opens up a whole new set of potential solutions. If managers aren't aware of those possibilities, they're not going to even ask their team to work on a previously impossible Problem. And so I think new managers need to educate themselves about what is going on out in the world, what the technology can do, so they can in turn ask their teams to really push the envelope, try new things, develop new breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. The other thing that comes to mind is really for new managers to embrace complexity. In the past, we shied away from complexity because we didn't have the means to handle it. And so A typical management practice was to, you know, simplify things, create business rules. Now we want to do just the opposite because machine intelligence has the ability to make sense out of all that complexity. So you're actually at a disadvantage if you simplify.
2: Angela brings up a great point about complexity. I totally agree. I think as a new manager, not trying to simplify things, but actually understanding that there's great power in the complexity if you can exploit that. There's a great example in the book where in the Army, U.S. Army, we had a leader who took over a new project. And what he inherited was a GPS system that had over 200 different systems in use for GPS. Every soldier, piece of machinery, weaponry, ships, things like that, all have GPS receivers. On them, We tell a story about one ship that had 14 different GPS receivers on it just to interact with all these systems. And as a new leader, he thought about building his machine learning algorithms and his way of working to say, I'm not going to try to simplify that. I'm going to take the great power of that complexity. I'm going to train my machine learning algorithms on all of those different systems. We're going to make immediate progress. Mm-hmm. We're not going to wait for a large-scale transformation program. I'm going to take and deal with what I have mm-hmm. in the real world, and I'm going to use that complexity. I'm going to take these technologies, and I'm going to adapt them to make them work, and I'm going to train them on the valid signals and spoofing signals and how signals get denied so that he could have more resiliency in how our military, and especially the Army, uses GPS. Really great example of someone who – thought about a different way of working and decided to embrace the complexity that he inherited from a a whole lineage of other projects. Because in the real world, you know, those projects don't stand alone, right? Even as a new leader, the projects are always interrelated to something else and there's always complexity there.
0: We've been speaking to Angela Zutabrin and Josh Sullivan, both from Booz Allen Hamilton and both co-authors of The Mathematical Corporation. Where machine intelligence plus human ingenuity achieved the impossible. I had to talk about this stuff all oh, hey. That's fun. Yes, yeah, it's fun too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us in Edgewise. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Dave. For women who are in the midst of advancing their management careers, AMA has a great resource. The Women's Leadership Center offers insightful articles how-to webcasts, and helpful advice for guiding your leadership journey. Join for free when you visit us at amanet.org forward slash W-L-C. If you found value in this program, or if you have any comments and questions you'd like to loop back with us on, we can be reached at a phone number, 212-903-8090, or by email at edgewise at That's edgewise at amanet.org.